All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. You are about to enter another dimension, a dimension not of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land of the imagination. The next stop, the KISS FAQ podcast. I'd like to apologize in advance for some of the audio technical issues that affected today's episode. Welcome to episode 28 of the KISS FAQ podcast. I'm your host this week, Lonnie Weishauer, STL KISS on the FAQ message board. And today I'm joined by Ken, 69th Blizzard, and Daniel Weese, joining us for the first time in a while. Guys, how are you today? Doing good. Good. Yeah, fine. Well, as you can see, and as you could hear by the introduction, Julian is not on the show this week. So um, don't read too much into it. Julian has given us a little bit of a latitude to um, do the show without him. So let's see if we can do a decent show and he doesn't have to do too much editing after he sees what we discussed. Um, just a couple quick announcements before we get going. Um, first, I want to thank everyone who listened last week to the Kiss Urban Legends episode and left us feedback on the YouTube page and on the FAQ message board. Second, if you haven't checked out the new Kiss FAQ podcast um, Facebook page, go over to Facebook, just type in Kiss FAQ podcast, it'll come right up. Um, leave us some thoughts over there. And finally, I want to remind everyone that there are several different ways that you can listen to the show. Um, first being YouTube. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can listen on the Spreaker app. And the show is also available to download at kissfaq.com slash podcast. So just a few different options for you to listen to the show that make it convenient for you. All right. So today... Um, we're doing another anniversary show. 2015 um, has a lot of anniversaries on it. Obviously, it's the 40th anniversary of Kiss Alive and Dress to Kill. But there's an anniversary that's not getting a lot of, it, of attention that we're going to talk about today. And that is, it is the 25th anniversary of the Hot in the Shade Tour. So, 1990, Kiss stepped up to the plate and delivered one of their best tours in their history, in my opinion. Um, it kind of went back to showing other bands how the big boys do it. With a great stage show and just touring and living up to the, the name Kiss. So, Hot in the Shade comes out in the fall of 89, and after struggling to get a tour going, the success of Forever helped get the tour off the ground. And the tour kicked off on May 4th in Lubbock, Texas. Um, the band played 123 shows on that tour, all in North America, which really shows Kiss going back to their grassroots of going to smaller venues and playing smaller towns, because obviously there's not 123 major markets to play in North America. I mean, you look at some of the dates that they played, some of the places, like Cape Girardeau, Missouri, Fargo, North Dakota, Johnson City, Tennessee, Peoria, Illinois, Terre Haute, Indiana. The band really went back to the grassroots campaign and going back to what they've said for a long time of just because you live in a small town doesn't mean you don't deserve to have a big show come to your town. So let's jump into the set list first of all and foremost. For me, that's always the most important thing when I go see a show is what songs did they play. So um, set list saw the band go back to um, playing a lot of the classic stuff that they hadn't played in a long time. Like, I Stole Your Love, and I Was Made For Loving You, Got a Thunder, I Want You. Um, I'm not just going to read through the set list. Guys, what are your thoughts on the set list? To, it's not just me talking. Daniel, well, what do you well, think I about was, I was kind of surprised when I, I checked the set list, because in my mind they changed it, changed it up a lot, but when comparing to the Crazy Night Store, they didn't really change it that much. Um, if you look at um, what classic songs they didn't play, uh, that they played on the Crazy Night Store, you missed out on War Machine. That's a big, uh, 
mistake, I think. I would have loved to see War Machine during the Heart of the Shade tour. I guess it's, it's kind of hard to have both War Machine and God of Thunder because it, it's like it's the Gene Simmons uh, badass song. So, so yeah. Let's reset, Daniel. We're going to go to you um, to give your thoughts on the, on the set list for the tour. Yeah, uh, a big difference from the set list uh, from the previous tour was that the new material, like Rise to It, Hide Your Heart and Forever worked well and Forever was a big hit. And when you compare to Crazy Nights, you know, No, No, No and Bang Bang New are probably two of the worst songs <laughs> in the catalog, according to me. Uh, so that's a big difference. Otherwise, if you look at the set list, you'll be surprised that it's pretty close to the Crazy Night set list. You know, there aren't a big... Actually, I missed a song from the Crazy Night set list, and that's War Machine, but I guess God of Thunder and War Machine, uh, they, like, uh, compete for the same spot. So, that's my take on the set list. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I you always hear about how they, they went back to their roots on the Hot in the Shade set list, and started playing the classic songs again. But I did the same thing. I was looking at, at set list before we, before, you know, before we started recording, doing a little little show prep actually. And uh, the uh, there 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 is a lot of of the classic tunes that were played on those previous on Crazy Nights nice tour as well. I was surprised at how many were played on the on the Crazy Nights nice tour that that were also on the Hot in the Shade tour. Was, I mean, granted, there were there were several. Editions, but it wasn't as dramatic as I had always thought it was. Ken, what do you think about the set list for the Crazy Nights tour? I and love the set list. Sorry. <laughs> right. I love the set list. Um, first of all, I saw them on this tour uh, in September of 1990 in Concord, California. Um, and what a difference because I saw them on Crazy Nights, the prior tour, and Besides the set list being heavy with Crazy Nights songs that I didn't, some of them I didn't care for so much. Um, the the show itself was, I guess we'll get into that, was totally different um, and better, so much better. But the set list, I mean, leading off, uh, they led off with you know I Stole Your Love, and <clears throat> that kind of harkened back for me to a live. Uh, alive, two, uh, which was my first Kiss album I bought uh, back in '77. So I was just stoked from that yeah. alone. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe they pulled it out, you know. Um, so and then you know they, they're going to have their classics, you know, of course, like Deuce and uh, Black Diamond and so on. But uh, they they only had one what uh, one Crazy Nights song on there, Crazy Crazy Nights, which is <laughs> fine, that was fine, because that was kind of recent, and it was the main single off of Crazy Nights. Um, Shout Out Loud, I think that was, they were bringing that back, um, things like that. Um, Strutter, another classic, uh, bringing that, um, uh, and, you know, the, the songs for Hot in the Shade, you know, like Rise to It, and Forever, that was fine. Those are, those are great songs uh, that they included there. Um, I could have, you know, they could have moved fits like a glove. I mean, I, I'm kind of, sh- I'm okay with that song, but it's not one of their better songs, so I don't know why uh, they included it. Well, yes, you just have to look at the Detroit show, uh, the first night, when Gene Simmons playing fits like a glove, and he's doing the scream, you know, like a hot right. knife through. Yeah, I love the scream. That. The scream is the best part of that. That song, <laughs> it, 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 it really is. Song in the 80s. It really is. Um, but yeah, the set looks great. I mean, Love Gun, Detroit Rock City, Cold Gin. They really hit the first album uh, on this tour. Uh, heavy. Um, so I'm trying to think what else. Uh, it was a good mix. It was just a good mm-hmm. mix of classic and some of the 80s stuff too. Um, it was a, a very well picked set list. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it really, you know, they did play quite a few of the of the classic songs. Um, looking at the set list, there's 13 songs from the classic era that I call the classic era, 73 to 79, that they that they chose for 
I mean, I Stole Your Love, they hadn't played that live since 1978. So it was really, right. really resurrecting that song. And Ken, I can see, like, your point of view. Like, you see that show, and, like, 1990s at a time, too, where there isn't the internet. You're not, like, on the internet every day to see what songs they played the night before. They probably came out with I Stole Your Love, and it probably, like, blew your mind that they're even yeah. starting with that at the time. So... Um, I mean, I Stole Your Love, Deuce, Black Diamond, Shout It Out Loud, Strutter, Calling Dr. Love, I Was Made for Loving You, God of Thunder, Cold Gin, Love Gun, Detroit Rock City, I Want You, Rock and Roll All Night, all those classic tunes that they that they played on that tour. Um, and, I, and I think, and we've said it before on the show, but I think a lot of that goes back to they saw the success that Smashes, Thrashers, and Hits had, and they saw that you know people still like these old classic Kiss songs that we've basically been ignoring since '83 when we took off the makeup and you know trying to just play new material. Um, I guess I guess also the Paul Stanley solo tour played into it. It played a few of those and and, and they were great received. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, he played "I Want You" and some things like that on and "I Stole Your Love" on the Paul Stanley solo tour and stuff that and he sees the reaction firsthand from the crowd. Like, oh, people are into these songs. And uh, what's when's the last time they played twenty two songs in the set list too? I mean, yeah. Come on. Yeah, if you compare, if you if you compare with the Crazy Nights, one of the big differences was that uh, the length of the show. You know, Crazy Nights seldom went over ninety minutes, but, mm-hmm. but this time around they always closed in. They, they were close to two hours at least uh, with the shows, and that's a big difference. And uh, other than that, I think. The one thing when you saw Crazy Nights was like, this is a band just going through the motions. If you look at Kiss in Philadelphia, I think it's 87, and Kiss Bedokan 88, there's like nothing is happening, no no energy. And then if you look at Detroit, or one of the great bootleg concerts out there, like Middletown, it's like a new band. And I'm not sure what, what happened be, between 88 and 90, because the, the album, Hard in the Shade, in, in itself, wasn't that great. It was like a mix of, you know, old demos and, and that sort of stuff. But something happened. I never could understand what happened, but but it was like a newborn band again, you know. Yeah, they're definitely rejuvenated um, yeah. on the tour. Uh, and maybe maybe Larry Mezer is a, is a contributor to that, that... You know, maybe he pumped them up, saying, "You guys got to go out there and I'll see the second coming with Doc McGee." But you got to go out there and kick some fucking ass, type of deal, and to motivate them to go out there, they just look like a different band, and they look they look hungrier, maybe than, yeah. than what they did in '87 on on the crazy on the crazy nights tour. They just the, the the whole the whole tour just has a different feel to it. If you look at some of those crazy night shows, and then look at the different hot in the shade shows that are out there, it's just it's, and it's the same four members. It's not like they got a new drummer or a new guitar player on that tour. It's the same four guys, and it just looks totally different. I mean, look at the band, set list, the but, stage but presentation. Why do you think that was? Uh, I mean, it's hard to see that something substantial happened between 88 and 90, other than the album that was, you know, it wasn't a great success. Over here in Sweden, people didn't... I mean, it was the first album in, like, 10 years that didn't make the top 10. Crazy Nights was 11, Lick It Up, Asylum, and uh, Animalize all were in the top 10, but Hard in the Shade came in at 29, and then it dropped like a rock. So uh, even here, people didn't uh, care for that album. But Mm. then the tour happened. Of course, they had a few great uh, opening acts, like, uh, or great, but, but decent at least, Winger and... Danger, danger, and uh, what else? Slaughter, slaughter, faster, pussycat, and so on. But uh, the show was like, uh, to me, it was one of the first tours in a long time that was better than the previous tour. You know, like Animalize to me was better than Asylum, and Asylum to me was better than Crazy Nights. But now things started turning around, and uh, Hot in the Shade became a better tour than. Mm-hmm. Crazy nights. Yeah, that's an excellent point. You could you could see like the decline of the shows if you watch some of the shows in the eighties, um, from tour to tour, and then Hot in the Shade comes around and it's just like bam. I mean, like I said, it just re- they just they just look 
rejuvenated and, and hungrier and 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 we'll get into the look of the band too. They just they just look better finally too. <laughs> so and and they only played three songs off of Hot in the Shade. Um, obviously, with the inclusion of all the classic songs, there's not room for a whole lot of, of new material. And that's something that they got away from, too, that they were doing on Asylum and Crazy Nights and, and previous tours, that they were playing six or, you know, five, six tunes off of the new record, and they scaled it back to only three. Um, you know, they started the first, like, warm-up shows they had, you know, played around with... Um, with Betrayed and with Little Caesar, but they're both dropped right away. They only went with the, with the three songs off the new album. So Talk, talking about fist like a glove, do you, have you seen the clip when Gene Simmons simply can't <laughs> remember the, the the lyrics to fist like a glove? I think it's on the Holland Shade or uh, Stony Pony or something, a club show. They started yeah. over I think three times or something, and he can't remember the the, the lyrics. Kind of fun. <laughs> you you don't have to. Paul Stanley stepped in and do them and does them. You don't have to look real hard to find a show where Gene forgets the words of a song, though, either. (laughs) It's so funny because it starts over like a few times and it's like, then it starts looking at Paul. Come on, Paul, save me. Help me out. (laughs) And then Paul sings it. That's funny. Yeah. So let's get into the, uh, let's get into the stage show a little bit. Um, It's, that's a major part of the tour. Just visually, uh, obviously Leon in the background, Sphinx, and you know there's that. There's Leon singing, God of what I'm called singing, God of Thunder, and coming out of the mouth of Leon to start the show. It was really Kiss going back to using the stage to their advantage, like they had in the set in you know in the heyday in the '70s. Uh, presenting a good stage show where they had really just had some really cheesy stages in my opinion with Crazy Nights and with Asylum just kind of mailed it in kind of kind of stage shows. You're supposed to be Kiss. You're supposed to be the visually exciting band and they finally got back to that. And not only with that with the lasers, just everything that, that they did. It was, And I, I think Larry Mazar is, is a big reason for that. It, I think he really guided them into, you know, you're, you're Kiss. You're supposed to be you have a reputation of putting on the stage show. And I think the addition of him, you could really see the presence of, of him, what he did for the stage show, not only on Hot in the Shade, and then you see it again on the Revenge Tour, too. They had a good stage presentation again with, yeah. with Larry at the helm calling the shots. So, um, Daniel, what do you think about Give us some of your opinions and some takes on the stage. Well, well, well Larry Mazur, he, he changed a few things. Um, you don't see Gene Simmons flicking out his tongue as he did in previous tours. And... Uh, the one thing, I, I don't know if he had something to do with this, but there's one thing missing from the Heart in the Shade tour. Are you thinking about the same thing as I am? No fire breathing? Yeah, yeah no fire breathing. Mm-hmm. So, this was, was like a downer, but, but, but it was like they didn't need it almost. Uh, uh, they had those effects during God of Thunder, great lasers, um, a thought-through production, you know, the, the intro when they entered through the mouth, if you listen to the crowds, um, yeah, there, there's no, it, there's really a kiss going into like a new style of a stage show, getting away from some of the old tricks, if you want to say, with the fire breathing. Obviously, there hadn't been dr- blood drooling since the makeup came off, and it was a dramatic change that when the band came out, they didn't have the big Kiss logo in your face when you came out. And that's something that had been in place since the beginning. Um, and that was a that was a big deal at the time. That Where's the Kiss logo? And I guess people that are... Obviously, I didn't see the show. Um, I The show came to St. Louis the day my older brother graduated from high school. And trying to convince my parents that, oh, I need to go to this KISS show was, was not in the cards, but... So you missed out two great KISS shows. Oh, I know, I know. It's I, <laughs> People are probably tired because I complain every week on the show about the KISS shows that I've missed. <laughs> but my bu- a buddy of mine that is a few years older than me, he was graduating from high school that night, 
and he skipped his high school graduation so he could go to the show. So that's that's dedication right there. That guy's that guy's a maniac. But um, so it was. I forget where I was going. I was going on the stories. Um, <laughs> having a great show. The um, but it was it was really Kiss getting the, the the logo, the logo coming up at the end. It probably for you, Ken, you were there. Seeing that logo like rise during "I Want You" was probably right. mind blowing at the time. It's like, oh, there it is, and just in your face. There, there's that's a Kiss show to me. So, Ken, what are your thoughts on on the stage show and the hot machine? Well, the stage show was probably one of the obviously probably top five for me uh, stage shows. Um, they it was the best since I saw them on the Creatures of the Night tour. Um, there and yeah. then there was a big gap of kind of lackluster stages. Um, I know Asylum had the huge Kiss logo, the, the gigantic lights, and I mean that was kind of cool. But you know, that didn't make up for the lack of other things on the stage. You know, um, otherwise there's a bunch of you know greats and things they had on stages and so on. But this stage was awesome. I mean, uh, as they came out. Of course, they came out at the beginning, and you know you're waiting for them to come out. You don't know where they're coming out, but they end up coming out of the mouth of the the Sphinx, which they call you know Leon, mm-hmm. right? Um, named in honor, I guess, of the as a joke of the the boxer yeah, Leon Sphinx. But um, that was kind of that was very cool. Them coming out of there, I think it was, there was like fog probably coming out of the mouth at that time. Then they appeared. Mm-hmm. And came out. Uh, the, that whole thing, backdrop was just—it was just so cool looking, um, and and it, and it was all—it was functional, which is the other thing about it. It was functional. I mean, they had lots of lasers, just tons of lasers going off everywhere. Okay. They had lights in the eyes, right? And lasers. Uh, I believe sparks came out of the eyes at one point. Uh, in it, in the uh, God of Thunder, I believe it was, and I don't know if they played, did anymore. I can't remember everything, but uh, the stage was just fully functional. And then they just, along with their energy, their they had like a renewed energy. You could see it because yeah. I saw them on Crazy of the Nights tour at the San Francisco Civic, and that was my worst of all the kiss shows that was the worst kiss show i had ever seen that was the low point for me of kiss shows and i've seen them well i probably haven't seen them a lot people have seen them hundreds of times but i've seen them about you know, 18 or so times right now so that one was just horrible i i was still <laughs> i was i was dis- i was disappointed it was lacking emotion you could see the yeah. emotion wasn't wasn't there no. And uh, going through the motion, right? They were going through the motion. I was like, what is wrong? This is, doesn't make sense to me. But so it was a, a 180 turn on the hot in the shade where uh, it was just full. They were energy running around like crazy. The set was just great. The stage was great. Uh, I wasn't up close front. I wasn't up front on this one. Not that close. I was a little back maybe 40 rows or something like that you know but it was actually kind of good because i could kind of see that whole stage mm-hmm. and it's full fun it was like i was in the perfect perfect spot it was almost like i was yeah. meant to be in that seat <laughs> it's kind of it's just the way it worked um so that that show was really great i mean it, it was probably like i said top five for sure i mean my top three for me for stage shows mm-hmm. for them it, uh, i just I left that concert fully satisfied, like, wow. You know, I thought, they're back. You know, they're back. Yeah. How yeah. was the attendance? How was the attendance at that Concord show that you saw? Uh, it was pretty... It was pretty packed from what I remember. Um, and then the other thing, like you said, talked about is after I Want You and the and the KISS logo, because we noticed, well, darn, this is the first concert I'd, I'd seen without a KISS logo. I was like, I was asking my buddy, you know, I was like, what? Gee, that's weird. That's strange. But I said, well, I guess they couldn't fit it because of the big Leon Sphinx. But that thing crumbles at the end of this the show there, mm-hmm. and 
falls down and then rising from the ashes like a, a phoenix right here right. comes the kiss logo but which is not the original kiss logo but a, a little smaller yeah. version of it but mm -hmm. it was still it's like everyone it the crowd went crazy mm -hmm. like you're like oh you're like yeah that's it <laughs> there it is so yeah, that's really one of the coolest moments in the show. And you have you have the disco ball when they're starting off. I want you, you know, really reminiscent of Alive, and then the Kiss logo rising in the background. It's just really it's one of the highlights of the show for me. It really is kind of like if you're there, it'd be like, oh, this is what Kiss is all about right here. You know, Alive at the disco ball and classic logo, classic logo, logo. I mean, it's. I know it's not identical, but it's the classic logo from the 70s. You know, it's like a replica of the classic logo from the 70s. It's just, you know, it's really, band just really going back to their roots on this tour. Um, and maybe this is where, you know, the the wheel starts in motion that they, the band sees that people still appreciate this classic era and you know, maybe, you know, a reunion, the reunion seeds are, are planted a little bit at that time that even, even though Daniel cringes when I say the reunion seeds are, are planted at the time. I'm the only one. <laughs> I'm the only one. But I, well, but I just have to say a thing about Lee and the Swings. That's the rock, it should be called Michael. Michael was a much better boxer. I don't know if you know you're boxing. Leon sucked big time. The only thing he did was beat uh, over the hill Ali back in 78. So Michael the Swings would be better, but I guess they don't know their boxing. So Daniel's, uh, Daniel's pissed off about the name of the Swings yeah. 25 years later. <laughs> 25 years later. He should be called Michael. You know that. All your boxing fans out there. But the other, the other thing, I just have to go back to the set list a little bit. I think it was a great representation of... As you said, the classic kiss, but also the kiss without no makeup, without makeup. Uh, you know, they had uh, songs from Lick It Up, songs from uh, Animalize, Under the Gun. Uh, they played that like 30, 40 times on that tour. Uh, Tears of Fallen, uh, Crazy Night. So it felt like they were contemporary, but still incorporating the classic in a perfect mix so I really like the set list on the hits tour yeah the set list I mean obviously we're not gonna you'll never see a set list like that one again you'll never see Kiss play certain certain songs I mean you look at it was the last time Hot in the Shade tour was the last time they ever played Fits Like a Glove they never played it again and it was the last time they ever played Rise to it and yeah. It was the last time they had played Crazy Crazy Nights up until 2010 when they resurrected that. And it was the last time you heard Hide Your Heart up until 2013. So it was really the, uh, you know, the end of some, some of an era of some songs. And but like you said, it was a, it was a great mix, though, because it encompassed the whole history of the band. Um, with songs like Deuce and Strutter from the first album and Black Diamond all the way up to the new record. And they they didn't ignore anything in between either. They didn't ignore, you know, Crazy Nights or Asylum or Analyze or Lick It Up. They they embraced all of their history of the band and even embracing I Was Made for Loving You, which they hadn't played in the States since 1979. And just compare, compare how I Was Made for Loving You was performed during the Hot in the Shade tour. Uh, to the Crazy Nights tour, it's like two different songs. It's like such a difference. During the Hot in the Shade tour, it was badass. It was heavy rock, and I kind of got turned on, on on that song when watching, you know, the Detroit concerts. Wow, I was made for loving you, rocks. You know, I've only heard that, you know, Dynasty version, and that wasn't one of my favorites. I think they uh, the only thing they ignored was uh, hotter than hell. I, I didn't see that on the set yeah, list. Yeah, I think you're right. You're right. Or at least it wasn't on the show I saw. I didn't see anything from. There was nothing yeah, hot, from hotter than hell on there. But uh, they pretty much captured everything. Um, of course, they're not going to do. They didn't do anything from like unmasked or the elder. Of course. I got. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah. A. Uh, 
like I said, it's really a set. It's, it's really a set list that you'll never see again. And you know, with encompassing the '80s in there, also, I mean, having very heavy on the on the classic era, but encompassing the '80s in there as well. I mean, now when you see the band, you're lucky. I mean, obviously, you're gonna hear "Look It Up" every night, but and they might squeeze in, they might throw in a "Hide Your Heart," or they might throw in a "Crazy Crazy Nights" like they did a few years ago. But it's really an era that they just ignore. Basically, I mean, they ignore Hot in the Shade for the most part, Crazy Nights, Asylum, Animalized. It's four albums that, and, and, and even Revenge for the most part, I mean, they, they do, they ignore for the most part too. They play God Gave Rock and Roll to You now and again, but you really haven't heard it in a while, actually. So, I mean, it's a set list that, that I don't think we'll ever see again. Obviously, the length of it, we're not going to see them play 20, 22 songs straight through. I mean, you're talking 25 years ago. Another great change from the Crazy Nights tour was uh, that they left out the like the guitar solo and did they have a bass solo on the Crazy Nights tour as well? I think so, didn't they? I believe they? so, yeah. yeah. And though Kiss have since Ace Freely left the band, the, the guitar solos has never done anything for the show, to me at least. So uh, that was a good... Uh, what do you say? Omission? Omission? Omission. Yeah. You know, this is my second language. The last time I spoke English is like one and a half month ago when I was with you guys, so... <laughs> kind of Omission. That's a big... No, like, that's a good know. point. That they liked like, out the guitar Like gymnasium, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a great point that they left out the guitar solos and yeah. that, and they, they and for the, when they started the tour, they didn't even have a drum solo either, and that really had, you know, Eric oh, pissed yeah. off for that's a while, the, and um, Paul and Eric weren't even on speaking terms yeah. at the beginning of of that tour, which really kind of confuses you if you look at the show and you see all the energy and you, and you see the band, you you must think, oh, these guys really love each other. They're really getting a, these four guys have been touring together. This is the the third tour that they've done, maybe, I guess, fourth tour that they've really done together. It was really kind of a stable lineup for the first time in a while. And watching that, you probably think, oh, wow, these guys are really getting along. They're jelling very nice-like. And you read and you find out that for the first couple months of the tour, Paul and Eric weren't even talking to each other. And like, really? Because you don't, you don't get that vibe on the stage that, that, they're that, that they're that pissed off at one another. Well, I, I don't think they were pissed off at each other. I think it was Eric Carr who was like, he thought he was a little bit more important to the band than he really was. Mm-hmm. And he, he couldn't like accept the role that he had. He was an employee, much like Eric Singer, you know. But he always thought he was a bit more, but he wasn't. Well, I'm glad that they decided to put the drum solo in there because that drum ah. solo is one of the most awesome drum solos for me with his... Were they syndromes or you know electronic drums, mm-hmm. um, and creating a tune out of it that sounded like it was almost Egyptian-like, which kind yeah. of fell in line with the the Sphinx, you know, theme. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the thing, yeah it, it, that was just awesome for me. That was another awesome part of the show. I think a, a great thing about this tour was that the theme worked, even though I never understood the album title or the cover. Like it's still like the worst cover. It's even worse than Julian's favorite uh, album, Asylum. Asylum. Yeah, you know, it's even. Yeah, there you have it. I mean, what were they thinking? It's so bad. But during the tour, yeah, that should that looks better. You know. Yeah. Uh, during the tour, it works perfectly. You know, it was perfect for a tour. I, I don't know if they had that in mind when they did the album cover and uh, the title and so on. Doubt it. I don't think so. Uh, wasn't Paul Stanley's sister or something, like an Egyptian, uh, you know, she had a lot of knowledge about e- Egypt and so on. Maybe she had something to do with it. Well, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Could be. But I, I, think, I, think, I think Larry Mazar um, deserves a lot of credit for pulling off that tour because you look you look at that touring the two tours that larry was in charge of that and the revenge tour both really had uh, just a great oh. stage presence to them with you know the statue of liberty in the background obviously for revenge and the sphinx for hot in the shade uh and he really and, and larry too 
really, I think, was important in getting Kiss to look different than they had on previous tours. And you think about it, it's 1990. Um, hair metal thing has really fizzled down at that point, you know, with Guns N' Roses being as big as they were at that point, it really kind of changing the landscape of how bands looked on stage. Mountain Crew had really abandoned um, a glam look. And if you look at what Motley Crue did in 89 on Dr. Feelgood tour, they look a lot different than they had on previous tours. Even even a glam band like, like Poison even had really changed their look by the time Flesh and Blood came out in 1990. And they were still glammy, but they weren't as glammy. The glam thing had really died. And thank God it did because it really worked to Kiss's kiss advantage that they weren't going out there and trying to copy that look. Yeah. Um, Kiss finally looked, I mean, I, I like the way they looked on the Revenge tour better, but I think they looked a whole lot better on that tour as opposed to yeah. Crazy Nights and Asylum. And they yeah. just don't look ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. But um, uh, Gene Simmons kind of took a step towards, you know, being the, the bad guy in bad character once again and I liked the way he looked on on stage Paul Stanley well he was maybe the only one that kind of could pull off the the 80s glam look where were we about Paul Stanley's look Paul Stanley pulled off Paul Stanley pulled off the looks during the 80s and uh, he looked even cooler back oh now the feedback disappeared okay Uh, back in uh, 1990 he he, he looked kind of cool and Gene Simmons as well. Bruce Kulick, well, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure how to say this, put this politely, but he, he, he always looks like kind of a studio musician on stage. But um, at least he plays awesome, and, and that's the, the, the main thing. Uh, back to the drum solo. I guess that's one of the few drum solos during Kiss, Kiss's career that I, I've actually enjoyed. Uh, they put a lot of effort into making it special and uh, a big thing of the show. Uh, if you look back, like on Crazy Nights and Animize, well, he he plays well and so on, but they haven't put a lot of um, you know uh, effects and bombs into into every car solos. But this time around, they really pull it off, and it was like an extra spice to the concert. So I'm also, as, as uh, Ken said, I'm, I, I was also glad that they incorporated the Eric Carr solo and omitted the Bruce Kulick solo. Yeah, I mean, then in hindsight, obviously, it's, it's Eric's last tour with the band, and the fact that we got a really cool drum solo from Eric... Um, especially being his last tour and being as special as it was with the lasers and the and the electronic drums behind him, and it really leaves just a great implant impression in your mind of how how great Eric Carr was as a drummer. And I think that when they implemented the drum the drum solo back into the show, it, it made Eric feel a lot better and more more wanted and more needed. Um, yeah, I mean Eric. You read you read reports from 1990 that you know Gene and Paul were trying to downplay Eric's importance to the band, like you mentioned earlier, Daniel. That Eric was kind of feeling at the time that well, I've been around for for ten years now. You know, I I, I think he's trying to stake his claim more into it, and you know, it, and not not to sound like a like a jerk or anything, but Eric was an employee of the band, and as much as you know he was important but he he was still an employee as was Bruce and i think i think Bruce towed that line very well and Bruce knew from day one you know this i i'm here i'm going to do my part and do what i'm told because obviously the, from the string of guitar players they had before me bam 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 i can be replaced in a heartbeat so you know what i'm going to take advantage of this opportunity and just and just do my part so but Back to the drum solo. It was it's it's a and it's a great great drum solo. And like I said, you know, um, Eric's last tour with the band, November 9th, nineteen ninety, at Madison Square Garden. The last night of the, sh- of the tour is Eric's last performance with the band. Uh, well, last live performance with the band. Obviously, he played on God Gave Rock. He played he didn't play on God Gave Rock and Roll to You, but he was in the video of God Gave Rock and Roll to You. So, um, 
I never got to see Eric Carr live. Um, I think, Ken, you're the only one here. Daniel, did you ever see Eric Carr? No? It's a Ken, you're, you're the seasoned times. veteran. You're the seasoned veteran here. Yeah, yeah, I saw him several times, and uh, yeah, like like we said before, I'm glad that they got that drum solo on the Hot in the Shade tour. Um, I, I recommend anyone who hasn't seen it or does not have Kissology to pick up one of the Kissologies. Is it volume two? two. Yeah. Uh, has the, uh, the drum solo in the Hot in the Shade tour. Uh, I think it's in Detroit, right? Yeah. And uh, that that's kind of, it's a great, great video you, you probably find it on on youtube too also yes yeah october in detroit they played in may as well and then it was not included the solo yeah the may show you can find that on youtube that's a really good show also and that's the show that that they did um that they didn't do i was made for loving you and they did under the gun so you can kind of yeah you know if you want to go back and, and revisit you know a different show from Hot in the Shade tour, you can see the difference. But I was made for loving you. It just sounded really cool on that show, and that, and that again is is, uh, is Larry Mazar. He is the one that really forced them into playing that song, and they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to do it. Said no, it's not gonna. It's not, you know that that was. They were, we're trying to distance ourselves from that. I mean, granted, we'll go back and and play some of these songs from the seventies, but you know we really don't want to touch on that period of the band. He insisted that they do it, and. The reaction from the crowd every night when they went in, I was made for loving you was was ecstatic. People, yeah, were, you said you said crowds. Uh, we haven't really talked about the crowds during this tour. Mm-hmm. It was the first tour in quite some time that was a huge success. I guess we have to say at least. Some people mean that it has to do with the opening acts that they pull in a lot of audience, but but I'm not that sure that the opening acts pulled in a lot of audience. I, I think. The show itself was—I don't—I'm not sure they even needed those opening acts because the the show was great. And uh, I guess in Detroit they played for like twelve thousand people both nights, something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and those numbers are really impressive. So uh, if you go back a few years, they did, didn't do that, those kind of numbers. Of course, they always did well in Detroit, but. Uh, Overall, it was a lot more people at the shows than during the previous tours. Yeah, Slaughter was really big at the time, though, when they took them out, and they were the main um, opening act before Kiss. Um, they were they were pretty they were very MTV heavy at the time. They were really big in the rotation, and but back to your point though too that I think it's it the Kiss did it for themselves is that. They were playing smaller venues also. I mean, 123 shows. You're playing... I was looking it up. I was looking at, at some stuff yesterday, and they played... In Missouri alone, where I live, they played five shows in Missouri. They played St. Louis. They and played a small... see a single one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> but it was before the internet, too. I mean, I don't know that they're going to play Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is two hours south of me, which is a small college town. And they played Columbia, Missouri... They played Springfield, Missouri. They played Kansas City, Missouri. Five shows in Missouri, in just the middle America alone. It's really back to a grassroots campaign for the band. And they're playing like these small um, basketball arenas in these small college towns. And it's, I mean, and, I, and I'm sure you go look at, at other states too. They're playing small basketball arenas at these little college towns also. Like I know in Illinois, they play like Peoria, Illinois, Springfield, Illinois. Obviously, they did a show in Chicago. And they played like Carbondale, Illinois, just really small venues, and just going back to their roots of of going to the people instead of having the people come to them, and that's another aspect that we'll never ever see again on a Kiss tour, especially with Live Nation being um, the juggernaut that it is in the United States. I mean, 2011, yeah, they did play some some. They played like a, a quote unquote Lost Cities tour in '11 and played some smaller venues. Like I saw them in Springfield, Illinois in 2011 and a small piece of crap arena. But they, it's, it's not something you're going to see again, especially, in, in, especially at their age. They're not going to play 123 shows in the United but, States. But, but were they able to fit the swings in all of those places? I, that I don't know. I don't, I don't have, you know, that that's a good question. Actually, that 
that maybe you should ask uh, the guys from Kiss Alive Forever, ask Kurt Pierce from Kiss Alive Forever, you probably would know. But uh, that's a good question. Those smaller arenas, was the whole stage show encompass in their shows? Because obviously we don't have a lot of proof because it's not like a show is today where it shows up on YouTube 12 hours after the show happens. See the set list, you can see all the. Um, talking about the attendance, I know I was looking at it uh, in Concord. It was almost almost nine thousand uh, people showed up for that. That's that's a pretty good amount uh, oh, yeah. there. Um, and I think that was maybe before they uh, remodeled it to to add more uh, seating there. And uh, I remember they remodeled it. But I can't remember if it was after that. Or not, but I think it was after that they did some remodeling. But uh, yeah, that was still that's a pretty good crowd. Mm-hmm. What was what were we talking? Interviews. About? Interviews. Yeah, there's a lack of great interviews from the on the Shade Tour. Um, if you compare to Crazy Nights, where there are several interviews, there aren't a lot of interviews during the on the Shade Tour. The one that comes to mind is the French one, when they fool around playing acoustic songs. Uh, Kind of fun, but other than that, I haven't seen a lot of interviews. Have you guys seen any interviews that's worthy of looking up? No. I don't remember a lot. No. You have the backstage thing. They tried to do. They were planning to do some sort of exposed two or something, and they filmed a lot with uh, you know uh, backstage. And uh, uh, those films have leaked out to. Uh, YouTube, so you, you can actually see a few of them. You can see Jim Simmons, uh, you know, doing his thing, his thing, uh, making his roadies bring him girls. Uh, not very romantic, but you get the hang of it, how, how it works. The roadies bring girls, they go to some room, and five minutes later, the girl leaves, you know. Have you seen, you know, uh, quite lengthy uh, videos like 40 minutes an hour. I think there are three parts on the YouTube. On YouTube, mm-hmm. kind of interesting, but uh, you know, uh, other than that and the French interview, there I haven't seen a lot of you know off-stage material. No, and I, for one, I'm glad that they didn't do an exposed to because it's cheesy as exposed is, and Hot in the Shade Tour. They're really getting back to being a a different type of band than what they were when Exposed came out. And to do another cheesy video to come out after that, I think would have made, you know, could have been a step backwards for them at that point. Well, I'm not sure they would have done it in the same vein, you know. Not, not. I, I would have loved them to, to include some backstage material and also the rehearsals that they filmed as well and, and then have some stuff from the Detroit shows and so on. And you could have you could have had a, a nice package, a great video, but the exposed thing, you know, the, the it was so eighties. You, you you they wouldn't get away with a second version of that. I think they just wanted to. It was like a how do you say it? Like a, a name under progress, a working name, you know. Work in progress. Work in progress. Yeah, you know they they would have probably named it something else. Uh, you know it, uh, what's extreme close-up if you look at the first um, posters for for extreme close-up I think it was called uh, you know exposed to wasn't it there were in I think I think it was so uh, I, th- I, th- I think they thought that exposed was a great brand that they would use once more but uh, mm-hmm. they did do it but but a video from that tour, I think uh, I would love a video from that tour. I think it's uh, I'm missing it. But then you would have to step away from the exposed thing and do it like, you know, kiss on tour, backstage, live performances, and a little bit of interviews with the bands because the interviews are really missing from 1990 to me at least. I haven't been able to find any. Yeah, I think it, it would have been cool if they would have done something like in the vein of how they did Kiss Confidential yeah. with a live show and then back and interviewing the band in between some songs and that. Um, you know, I'm glad that we have the the version of that Detroit show on Kissology too. But for a long time, there was a, there wasn't a lot of it wasn't an avenue for you to go get a a good clean version of a of a Hot in the Shade show. And 
um, seeing that on Kiss Allergy, um, obviously not seeing the tour, but seeing that on Kiss Allergy, was, which was just a great experience watching that, and especially for the first time and seeing that Kiss logo rise up, and you know, it's just a great tour that, and just really saw the band get back to their back to their roots again and, and just do it the right way and really kind of live up to the kiss thing and saying this is how the big boys do it well that that was how the big boys did it on, on the hot in the shade tour there's no doubt about it it's the energy level the just the energy level the set list the stage show the look of the band they just they really hit it on the head especially for that time in 1990 kiss did everything they could to look and present the best show that they possibly could have at that at that given moment. Yeah, it took them about seven years to do it, but they finally turned the corner and was were headed in the right direction with that. And then, you know, the revenge tour following it. So mm-hmm. it was it was such a letdown when when uh, the reunion era started, and they kind of ignored. Sorry, going back to this subject, but they ignored. You remember the first years, like nineties. Mm-hmm. Six, seven, eight. They totally ignored the non-makeup years. Totally, it was like it never happened. Mm-hmm. And to me and other like other people that grew up with the eighties kiss, I think it was, it was, uh, it wasn't, um, it was terrible for us. Uh, and all right, so Daniel was talking about um, talking about those songs. That Kiss started ignoring in the '80s, and when the reunion tour happened, actually. Um, so, yeah, the, I was excited when they brought back "Lick It Up," and actually, I was excited when they brought back "Lick It Up" and "I Love It Loud" and "Heaven's on Fire" when they did the farewell tour, because because they were songs that they hadn't played since '96, um, and there's really and three of those songs are songs that I really grew up with in the '80s, being a fan of the band. That was exciting for me. You know, just going back and driving home the point that there are songs that they played on that Hot in the Shade tour that we never heard again, and we'll never see a set list like we saw on the Hot in the Shade tour ever again. And it's just a it's a great timestamp of the band at that time. Um, while the band was touring, though, they had some cool promotional items that came out. Um, the band released a a record called First Kiss, Last Licks that had some of the Deuce and... Is it Deuce and Strutter? What, dem- what demos are on there? Ken, since you got right. Uh, we had... Uh, yeah, Deuce and Strutter were on mm-hmm. there as uh, the demos. 73 Eddie Kramer demos. First yeah. official release of those. And then what Hot in the Shade songs are on there? Hot in the Shades. Uh, we got Love's the Slap in the Face. Uh, oh, nice. Betrayed. <laughs> Prisoner of Love, the street giveth and the street taketh away. Some classic on there. That's boy. it. Yeah. Nice. And they had the yeah, the no nowhere to run and partners in crime that were uh, part of uh, Killers. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the first time those are probably officially released in America. Also. Yeah, and they had some interesting on the back of it about handwritten notes uh, about some of the songs. About how why how they came to be. Yeah, and the handwritten notes. That's also reminiscent of alive. alive yeah. um, going back to one of their trademark deals. So, obviously, you can see we've lost Daniel. Daniel had a an alarm or an emergency, or maybe he's being courted off to prison at this point. We really we're really not sure. But so you're left with me and Ken. So I am slowly but surely taking over the show. I've gotten rid of Julian. We have gotten rid of Daniel. I'm so, next to be carted off. If you don't off. like me, well, you're in trouble. You're probably just going to stop listening at this point. So, um, so some cool... Kiss got back to doing some different things, too, um, with promotional items for the tour. We talked about First Kiss oh, last week. Daniel's out of jail, and he has just returned <laughs> the dead. You won't fucking believe what just happened. I don't want to know, but he's back. Daniel, let's go back to what you were saying. You probably don't remember what you were saying because it's been a while. But you were talking about how <laughs> it's a great. You were talking about how Hot in the Shade, how they uh, when they did the reunion tour. Daniel isn't a big fan of the reunion tour, 
how they abandoned the sh- the uh, the songs. Look it up. They abandoned a lot of the '80s material, which was gone up until the farewell tour when they brought back um, "Lick It Up" and "I Love It Loud" and "Heaven's on Fire." Um, that they were talking about the set list, how it was really just a set list that you're never going to see again. Um, and it's just and how it when they did the reunion, they basically ignored the '80s. Um, we're gonna go in, we're gonna talk about some promotional items that came out on this tour. Ken showed up. Uh, Ken put up his uh, copy of First Kiss, Last Licks. I had one as well. Um, with you know, the first time Deuce and Strutter, those Eddie Kramer, Eddie Kramer demos had been available in in the states. And they also Kiss got back to doing some kind of cool trinkets. Also, there was a there was a hot in the shade hat. They had the oversized um, tour book. Um, which is a great tour book if you don't have it. That's it's uh, it's one of my favorites. Um, there it is. It's really really cool book. And um, there was a paperweight that was available, and um, some some cheap hot in the shade sunglasses. So maybe you could dress up like the Sphinx for Halloween or something with your sunglasses on. <laughs> but um, you know, I, and I I think that we talk about the changes in the band from. Crazy nights to hot in the shade, and that's what makes this tour so special. And going back to Larry Mazar, I think he is the biggest reason for the change in the band and getting them to run around on stage and be more of a kiss on stage and not just going through the motions like they were on some of the previous tours, especially Crazy Nights. So, um, you guys have any more thoughts on the tour itself? Daniel, you made a you made a two kilometer run. Show some dedication. <laughs> I'm all out of breath, you know. <laughs> uh, one thing you've mentioned Larry Mazur a lot, and uh, but do you think there was any way around Kiss failing on the next tour, on the Revenge tour? Because to me, it was a great tour, great set list, uh, a great show, but. Uh, you know, music was changing. Could they have done it some other way? Because the Heart in the Shade was such a great success. And then, um, what the fuck is the sound of? <sighs> um, I think I will quit right here. But I just would like to hear Lonis' thought, thoughts on the Revenge Tour. Could they have done it in any other way in order to make the success? Okay. So, if you couldn't hear... <laughs> <laughs> Daniel just quit the show again. If you couldn't hear what Daniel was saying, Daniel was saying that I've been we've been crediting Larry Mazar with, with for the success of the Hot in the Shade tour, and you look at the Revenge tour that it did not spawn the same success as Hot in the Shade, despite having um, a great set list, despite having a cool stage show. I couldn't kiss. Um, continue down the road of success that they were having with Hot in the Shade with Revenge. And I think a large part of it is the fact that music was changing at the... Music had changed at the time. I think in Hot in the Shade, music was in a transition getting away from hair metal and glam. And by the time Revenge came, um, I think grunge had come into effect. I mean, by, by 92... Pearl Jam was was pretty pretty heavy, pretty popular. Nirvana was pretty popular. Soundgarden, all those Stone Temple, oh, Stone Temple, Stone Temple Pilots out by '92 or not? I'm not sure if Core had come out yet by that point or not. But anyway, bands like that had really taken over what was popular on MTV, what was popular on the radio. A lot of alternative, quote unquote, alternative. Uh, rock stations had become popular at the time too, and I think that by that point in ninety, and by the fall of ninety two, um, Kiss was seen as a dinosaur band again, and they did not have the radio hit that they had with Forever. Um, I think every time I look at you could have been a great radio single, could have been a great hit. I am. I think it's a better song, but. I think with where music was at the time in '92, there was a drastic change. Ken, what are your thoughts on on that? About how 
um, despite having a great stage show again and despite having a great set list, why Kiss wasn't able to sustain some touring success two years later. Yeah, I, I agree with you um, about the the music styles have changed um, with grunge and the hair metal thing is, is dying off. Um, the only people that were staying around were the true Kiss fans at that point, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just very interesting because you go from 73... 1973 or 74 to 82 or 83 you had they hit their peak and then it trailed off into Creature of the Night and nothing that's kind of the first wave right there mm-hmm. they hit it then they became dinosaurs at that point they take off the make off makeup and then they go lick it up and animalize and then they, they're increasing in popularity again all the way up to 1990 with Hot in the Shade and then it it hit its peak again, and then it's trailing off again down from uh, to revenge, and they, they can't sell tickets, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing. So it's it's like the second wave. They became a dinosaur band a second time, mm-hmm. right? And then here we go. So now they go into the reunion tour, and very very popular. Firstly, well, they do the the unplugged, which their popularity starts coming back up a little bit. The interest is starting to come back. The convention tours, maybe, um, and then they do the reunion, and they go to the all the way up to the farewell. So they they peak again. They hit Psycho Circus. They kind of hit the peak. Maybe that's where it's starting to hit, you know fall, mm-hmm. and and into the farewell. So it's kind of like they've hit these. It's like cyclical, you know. It's, these right. cycles and they become a dinosaur band and it's even happening up to now I think uh, up to when they hit 2009 was a big deal they did very and well 2009 yeah. yeah. it's like one wave another wave of time another wave it's it's I don't know you can't explain it um, no you know, it's just people's I guess people's tastes change and the hardcore fans stick with them and I think other fans come and go um, through time, and you know, I think you gain fans along the way, and you lose fans along the way, depending on what your, you know, where where life has you at at the time. But um, it's a good point, and you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens from here. You said, you know, '09 they really had a resurgence, um, kind of like they had with, you know, reunion and and uh, by Hot in the Shade, they were kind of, you know, we've discussed the amount of shows on Hot in the Shade and. You know, attendance on Hot in the Shade. Who knows where where they're going to go from here? You know, if another album's going to peak interest again, or if a or if a DVD set, or who knows what they have up their sleeve um, could could re-peak interest again. But you know, I think that it's a, you know, I think that the music changed from '90 to '92, and that's why they weren't able to sustain what they had going. And you know, there's people weren't people weren't into that anymore, and. People were really into what was happening with with bands like Pearl Jam and, and Nirvana, and you know, look at you know Motley Crue went through with you know Vince being gone, and despite putting out one of their better albums, it didn't have anything. Daniel is determined to get back on the show. And <laughs> just leave Daniel's video up while this is going on, and um, you know, I I think that you know Hunt, Hunt and Shade was just a great. A great tour and a great time to be a Kiss fan. It's something I wish I could have seen. I'm very jealous of of Ken. Every week when we talk about the shows that Ken has seen with Hot in the Shade, that he saw the Creatures, um, and all those shows in the '80s in between too. I mean, it's a it's my fandom as a kid growing up, and Ken to, got to experience all those shows. So it's just a great time to be a fan. I'll tell I'll tell you all about him whenever. No, we need to do it. We need to do like an <laughs> asylum tour. As horrible as that may be, we talk. We need to have like an asylum sure. tour. Talk about that and talk about other shows. That, yeah, that's that's Julian's episode. We're saving that one for when the uh, the thirtieth thirtieth anniversary of Hot in the Shade. We're not Hot in the Shade. Talking Hot in the Shade. When the thirtieth anniversary of Asylum comes around, that's going to be Julian's show. That's Julian's album. So. We will get Julian back on the. Julian will come back on the show. I have not taken over the show. Daniel, are you there? Can you hear us? Can we hear you? We cannot hear Daniel. Poor Daniel. I feel sorry for him. Well, since it's just me and Ken, and we've kind of losing 
we're kind of off the rail this week. We're going to yeah. wrap this up so that Julian doesn't have to do too much editing and Julian doesn't so? fire me. So, for Julian and for Ken, for Daniel all the way in Sweden, thank you for running two kilometers, Daniel, and trying to rejoin the show. We appreciate all your dedication and thank you all for listening to the KISS FAQ podcast. It was my fault. (laughs) (laughs) A little message to Julian on the show. Thank you all for listening. You stay classy, Kiss Army. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the Kiss FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. We hope to see you again.